Want to become successful in your personal and professional life? Learn the secrets of success, how to build atomic habits for improved productivity and develop a growth mindset with me, your mindset and success coach, Omar Qadri, and my fabulous guests that range from CEOs, entrepreneurs, life coaches, sports coaches, international sports athletes, and researchers right here on your favorite show called The Secrets of Greatness. We are live. Hello, everyone. My name is Omar Qadri, and I am your host for this show called Secrets of Greatness. First things first, if you haven't already done so, please click the subscribe button and do leave us with a comment from this episode in the comment section below. All right. With those housekeeping stuff out of the way, I am so, so excited to introduce you to our very special guest for today's show. His name is Richard Pybus. You may have heard of him because Richard is a very, very popular pie performance cricketing coach who has worked at the international level with teams like Pakistani cricket team, the Bangladeshi cricket team, and he has also been involved in the very powerful Titans team in the, in the South African domestic circuit. He is also serving as the director of cricket for the West Indies Cricket Board. Interestingly, Richard was involved during, with, with the Pakistani cricket team during the 1999 and the 2003 World Cup. And I'm so excited to have him today. Richard, thank you so much for coming onto the show. It is truly, truly a pleasure. Welcome. Thanks, Amir. Looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to learning more from you and getting to know a little bit more about you, your journey. So let's, let's dive right into it. All right. Let's dive right into it. Um, Richard, tell me, how did you get into coaching in the first place? Omar, I would, I would have been a, a budding sportsman many years ago and uh, I would have had a full head of hair in those days. Um, <laughs> Uh, I started off as a kid. My passion would have been football. As a, as a young lad growing up uh -huh. in the northeast of England, uh, I, I grew up in Newcastle, and and so I, you know, I, what we all grew up with was football because it's a football yeah. crazy town. Um, and then I got introduced to cricket and rugby. I, I went to a school where they were the two primary sports, and and they were brand new. And I really enjoyed them. They didn't play soccer at the school, so I started playing rugby, which I really enjoyed. And some of it was, was cricket and swimming and athletics. And so I, it was probably about that time, Australia were over on, on tour. Uh -huh. and, uh, and Dennis Lilly was the opening bowler for Australia. Wow. And, and it, I started watching it on TV and I was just mesmerized primarily by Dennis Lilly, you know, this, this larger than life character who would run up and bowl quick and terrorize the English batters. And he had this, this great Zapata mustache. This is the 1970s. So, you know, all the shirts had big collars and his shirt undone down to his navel with his, uh, with his hairy chest and you don't see any of that stuff nowadays with, with the clothing being so conservative and he really was other than being you know arguably there are many great fast bowlers but he would genuinely be one of the greatest of all time but he was yeah, like absolutely. a he was like a real pantomime character i don't mean that in any way in a condescending way it's just that he was larger than life absolutely and and it was just riveting and so 
you know, I would have, I would have started watching cricket and we played a bit of cricket in the back lane and I joined a cricket club as a kid. And so we played, we spent the summers down at the cricket ground and I just fell in love with cricket. And, uh -huh. and so I would have continued to play through my teenage years. Uh, I would have played cricket, uh, uh, soccer and rugby. And when I got older, my, my two passions were rugby and cricket. And, and they both, they both went very well. And then, unfortunately, when I was in my late teens, I was involved in a car accident. Oh. And, and slowly but surely, that, that accident started to have an impact. Um, and I ended up having a whole host of, of uh, sports-related injuries that came, that came from that. Mm -hmm. and, and eventually, I was in my early 20s, and I, I uh, went up to... Uh, my cricket was, by that stage, was going very well. Yeah. And I had the opportunity of going up and um, starting the season with one of the counties in England, and I, I was, and I got injured straight away, which was a recurring injury. Mm -hmm. and it took a season to get that diagnosed, and I had an operation, and then I missed, so I missed that year. And then I recouped in the winter, and I started went back up, and I had a, and and and, and I repeated the injury, um, and I had to have another operation. Oh, and by this stage, it was about two years gone, and you know I hadn't had any income. I'd finished university. I needed to. I needed to move on with my life. So I um, I shelved my cricket playing aspirations, and mm -hmm. I've been doing a um, a post grad in education. Yeah. And I decided that that I wanted to I wanted to express my my love of sport, my love of cricket through coaching. Through coaching. And so I got certified and. I, it was, uh, it was, the, it was 1990, 91, and I wanted to go and get experience. Yeah. So, and South Africa was opening up and, and it was the end of apartheid. So I wanted to go out and have a look at the place. And I rode away and, and got an opportunity to get a job in South Africa coaching. And I Amazing. came out to South Africa and, and I loved it. And I got great opportunities and the players that I coached did well and the teams did well. And, and so that's how it started. That's awesome. That's, that's, kind of unfortunate as well that you had an accident you went through so much uh from an injury perspective but what i really love about your story richard is the fact that you didn't lose touch with your true love which is which is sports right and you channeled that love if not through the um through playing the sport but through coaching it then instead right and and i think that's really important to stay connected to, you, to that true love, to the true passion. Um, Richard, tell me, uh, you know, with, uh, in regards to your involvement with, uh, with Cricket South Africa, right? I think you were involved heavily in the development of champion players, such as Mark Boucher, uh, Makaya Antini, Faf Duplessis, Dale Stain. You have worked very closely with them. Um, tell us a little bit about these players in terms of what are those traits um, that really made them um, these really made these players the champion players that they are and make that made them such high performers. So Omar, my my work would be coaching. Um, originally, it was what we would now regard as first class cricket. Mm -hmm. um, and and then the system in South Africa changed, and they and they amalgamated first class teams to make franchises. So I didn't work. I suppose indirectly I worked for Cricket South Africa, but I would work for the first class setup. Right. Um, so I started with Mark uh, when I first came out to South Africa, 
and he was a pupil at the school where I first started coaching. So that would have mm. been in 1991. So he was, he would have been about 14. I think he was in the under 15s at that stage. He was an off-spin bowler. Um, and, and he's just an incredible athlete. He's a, a brilliant squash player. And in his age group in South Africa, he was the number one squash player. Oh, wow. And, uh, and he was a, and he was a more than useful batter in his in his team at school, and I just thought his uh, uh, potential is that this kid is such a natural natural athlete. He's got such good hand eye coordination. Um, with a little bit of work, he'd make a really good keeper. Mm. And so he, um, I put it to him, and he decided to have a go at it. And he became the first team keeper, and and he. And with a group of other players, because we had a very fine college first 11 um, by the time we got into the first team. And with a group of other players, uh, they worked exceptionally hard on their game. And he went on to become the provincial under-19 captain. So he was the yeah. college captain, the under-19 captain. But his development was quite late in terms of the school system, because all the big schools in South Africa would play against each other. So he was never a brand-name cricket player. And, and so he really only burst into the... Into the onto the school circuit in terms of recognition in his last year. And we went up to the interprovincial championship where all the provinces would play against each other. He, cap he captained the side and we were the only unbeaten side at the week. And you can't mm. really win the week, but if you could win the week, we won the week because we were, you know, we were the only unbeaten side there. And, uh, and four of those lads went on to get selected for the South African under-19 side. And Mark was a really good captain, very, very good strategically. Mm -hmm. uh, the guys would play for him. They enjoyed playing for him. And, and so Makai was part of that side. Uh, Justin Kemp was part of that team. And there was another lad called Talani Onkweni. And unfortunately, Talani didn't come through. He was a really exciting left-arm spinner. But, but Mark, Makai, and Justin all came through. And it's great they played international cricket. Uh, and I know that all who were part of their development, particularly from a border point of view, were, were very proud. Um, and, and so what goes into it? At what, point, at what point does a player decide that they want to play? You know, is that we would all have dreams as kids. Of course. And I think if, you, if you're playing a first-team cricket at your school, whether you be a boy or a girl, um, and for many of your viewers, perhaps they don't play cricket. Perhaps they're playing another sport. Yep. Maybe they play a sport where it's just them, like in tennis, you know, where they have to compete against an opponent rather than as part of the team. But, it, but Omar, it, it just begins with an idea. Mm. It begins with an idea. And what I would do, what I did with the, with the guys, those young players at the college, is we sat down and we did a goal-setting exercise. And mm -hmm. I would um, speak to the lads and I would get them to... Um, I would get them to map out what they want to achieve. So firstly, choose your goal. Mm -hmm. And then, and then uh, let's start breaking that down into steps. And, and we would have a dream goal. Right. I'd say to them, what's your ultimate? Let's write it down on paper. Let's verbalize that. Yeah. And of course, you know, they're young lads and, and, and perhaps they don't want to stay, state it out in public. Maybe they want to keep it as a private goal, but to yep. have set it as a goal for themselves. And I think for the, and look, I mean, your series is, is, is in helping people to understand how to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that is, is not about sport. That is about, that is about making a choice and a decision 
mm-hmm. about how you would like your future to be. And, and it doesn't matter whether you come from a background where you have been disadvantaged. It doesn't matter if you come from a background where you would have been privileged. It is really just about using your imagination and, and thinking what are the things that you love and, mm-hmm. and what are the things that you would like to pursue? Perhaps for some, for some young people, if they've been brought into, born into circumstances where they've been economically disadvantaged, maybe one of their first goals would be that when I get older, I don't ever want to be in that position again. So I want to ensure that, that myself and the family have that we don't have to experience poverty so that would be mm-hmm. a very strong motivator now if you can join that as a motivation and you can and you can uh, mix that with what you're passionate about and uh, so the two can blend together as a goal yep. um you know that's really powerful and and so there's a clear process to that there's a very mm. very clear process to that and it's got nothing to do with sport it's got everything right. to do with how we learn to think Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more, right? Goal setting is such an important part of your journey towards success. Um, working with the voucher or Antini, did you, did you feel there was something different about these boys at that young age when they were uh, setting their goals or going about their goals um, that really set them apart? Well, you know, I have to, I have to contextualize myself in the journey with the, with the boys, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a young coach. Yeah. I'm at the beginning of my journey. That's it's, true. It's the, it's the early years of my coaching and I would not have uh, a lens where I would have seen generationally players come through. So I'm walking this journey with them as they're proceeding in their cricket journey. I'm proceeding in my coaching journey. That's so and true. So I wouldn't be able to, at that stage, I didn't have a lens where I could look at players and say, well, you know, I think you could go on and be a, an international player. I think you could go on and be a great, etc." What I would say though, which I think is really important because there was a, a fast bowler who was the year before Makaya. And this guy in his age group would be the quickest young bowler in South Africa. Mm. And he was absolutely incredible. And now, nobody has heard of him since because he didn't choose where he wanted to get to. Mm. And he didn't make that choice. He didn't make that decision. And, and even if it had been a fleeting moment where he decided, okay, well, I'd like to play for South Africa, is he didn't hold his focus. You know, he got distracted. So anything that we want to achieve in life is, number one is we've got to work for it. And so we need, a, we need as clear a vision in our yeah. mind's eye as possible of what that looks like. And again, you know, as a young, as a young person, is your goal is, you know, is it's not easy to conceptualize, even though you might have an idea of what you'd like yeah. to achieve. You will have questions around it. So what we do is we incubate that idea. So we, we can call it our dream goal. We can say yeah. that's our ultimate goal. But of course, it may be five to ten years in the future. So, so we choose it and we incubate it mm-hmm. and, and then we come back into the present and we say, okay, well, if that's down the line, let's, let's look at a shorter term goal, like maybe what do I want to achieve this season? Mm-hmm. What do I want to achieve this academic year? And then just break that down into stages and then just bring yeah. that all the way back. If a student's preparing for an exam or they're preparing for a championship or a competition, 
is we just we look at that at the at the goal for that period of time and then we come back to the present moment so as far as possible we just break it down into steps so we mm. reverse engineer it right and then we and then we become present again and then we work out okay well what are the actions i've got to take now i can't control what's happening next week or the week after or the week after so we come back we're very present and we look at it and say right what is the action steps i am taking today which will take me to tomorrow which will then lead on to taking me into right. next week we've got to be so we picture we imagine we make it multi-sensory yeah and then we come back into the present moment and we look after today perhaps these champion players were really really good at was having that clear cut goal but at the same time also being uh, also excelling in understanding what's really important for them to do today and to create that roadmap and work towards it step by step um i i would say to that and i say to all the viewers and and and, and those who would listen in is there is a beautiful simplicity to this and it can look like uh -huh. and correctly stated it can look like you know i don't know if i can achieve that you know it's it's maybe that maybe that's just maybe that's as a dream goal maybe that's just for other people maybe that's for special people it doesn't work like that at all mm. it really is and there are and, and we all have and so i'm i'm very i'm very uh what's the right way of putting this i am i'm very a little bit circumspect about about using the term goal setting mm. And I'll, and I'll clarify what I mean by that. It's very important for young people, in fact, for all of us, but particularly young people, whether they're, whether they're at school, whether they've left school, whether they're early years of work, whether they're at college, is to learn how to think strategically. Mm -hmm. And in thinking strategically, that is just where am I and where would I like to get to? And the bits in between are just steps. And, and so we need a strategy. And, and if they think about a journey that they take, whether it be on public transport, whether it be on foot, whether it be in a car, is, is you have a destination and you have your point of departure. And, and we each have built into us six questions. And mm -hmm. those six questions, you know, uh, I think the, the, the title of, of, your, um, of this theme is Secrets of Greatness. Yeah. Well, the secrets are great, means if there are secrets and they aren't secrets, and if they are secrets, let's put them in plain sight. It begins with these six questions. What do I want? Why do I want it? How am I going to achieve it? Who can support me in achieving it? When would I like it? So we put a timeline on it. Mm -hmm. And where is it taking place? Amazing. And, and those questions work in that order. And if somebody just takes a pen and paper, writes those six questions down, and graphs out what they would like to achieve in life and just are patient and work day by day, they can achieve any goal that they'd like to. Absolutely. That is so well put. I love the simplicity in those six questions in that framework that you have just stated, Richard. I think that's so important for every single, including myself, right? Sometimes I feel, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm losing touch with the present moment and I need to go back to these questions and the answers that I have written down on a piece of paper to these questions to re-evaluate um, um, re and see where I am and where I need to do, where I need to go and what I need to do today and tomorrow. Um, Richard, let's go move a little forward to your time with the Pakistani cricket team where you 
started coaching them in the, um, I think in the year of 1999, you were um, the assistant coach during the, uh, during Pakistan's dream run at the 99 world cup, where they went all the way into the finals only to lose uh, to Australia in the finals. That particular team is considered to be one of the best team of Pakistan ever with the, with superstars such as Wasim Akram, Shoaib Akhtar, Saeed Anwar, Inzamam, all of these superstars all packed in one team. Tell me, um, as a coach, what was that experience like coaching these superstars? Was it difficult to coach a team that was full of superstars or was it not that difficult? What was that experience like? I think when you have players as highly skilled as that, your work is less technical. It's more about management and game strategy. So mm-hmm. you know, you're not really you're not really making technical adjustments to a player's game because these guys, for many of them, they are the best player in that field in the world. You know, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't mean that that players don't need to make technical adjustments because at any stage a player's game might get a little bit out of kilter. Uh, so one needs to be, you know, you need to have a good understanding of technique and biomechanics. But coaching is less about that. It's more about, it's more about, again, and it comes back to this critical word, managing our focus. Mm-hmm. And for all, you know, the cricket fans who be watching this, you know, there is no, there is no batter who, who would not know that the key component of batting is actually concentration. Yeah. You know, you can't score runs unless you can concentrate and you need to be able to switch your concentration on and off. So we need to be able to manage our focus. And, and so, you know, managing the focus of the team, managing the focus of the players, managing the focus of the players during the game in terms of breaking the game down into stages mm-hmm. so that we understand what we're doing and where we're doing it. So again, who's doing what and who are they doing it to? So yeah. we come back to key questions. You know, is it Wazim Akram? Is it, is it Shoaib? Who's taking the new ball? Who are they bowling against? What angles are we bowling? How are we setting the field? So again, we come back to those six questions. And, mm. and so you're managing, really, you're managing the players, you're managing their mental space, you are, you are challenging them to, yeah. to ensure they are focused uh, and, and ready for the challenge and mm-hmm. don't get complacent. And, and that, would be, that would be a lot of the art of, of coaching at that level is, is, um, is game strategy game strategy and player management and to and your question about those players, they were wonderful to work with. That's awesome. Any, any particular um, story or incident that you can um, remember from that time where, you know, you really had to work on a mental aspect of, uh, um, of somebody's game, whether was it to improve their focus level or concentration level um, or just make them, um, you know, a little bit more stronger mentally. Well, look, I don't think, you know, here's an interesting concept for you. I don't think that, I, I, I don't believe in the concept of mental strength. I believe in our ability to be able to focus mm-hmm. and to okay. be able to, again, keep our goals in view. Yeah. And yeah. of course, that is a case of being present in the moment, but being clear on where we are seeking to get to. Um, and, and not getting distracted, not getting distracted by things in your environment, not being distracted by anxious thinking. Mm-hmm. making sure that we keep a very clear lens on what we want to achieve. Yeah. And that would have been ultimately when I reflect on the performance of the side in the final, because the, you know, many of the, many of the viewers will, 
um, you know, they'd have to Google the 99 World Cup final. The South played extremely poorly and they played brilliantly throughout the tournament. Yeah. And I think in the semi-final against New Zealand at the Oval, I think we beat New Zealand by about eight wickets. It was very comprehensive. And then and, and, and preceding the, the World Cup final, we lost control of the performance environment. And, um, and through that, there was a lot of distraction going on. And, mm. and so it's one thing being cricket prepared. It's another thing being team prepared in terms of not only for the event, but to, to, to stage manage everything which has taken place. And there was some stuff took place which was outside of our control and it ultimately impacted on our, on our focus on the day. Um, and so I think, you know, that, those are the key things. It's, you know, when players get to a particular level, mm-hmm. is, it's really about, about managing, managing your intention and managing your attention. And your intention is obviously the goal. Yeah. So we've got a big game coming up or for some of your, you know, for some of the audience, they might have a, uh, an exam. They might have a job interview yeah. is, is it doesn't matter what precedes that in the sense that once you've got to that stage, you have to deliver mm-hmm. and the team didn't deliver and the, you know, they imploded on the day. And so I would have done a lot of soul searching, a lot of review, um, a lot of learning over the years to understand that, that of how you are going to turn up on, mm-hmm. on finals day and deliver mm-hmm. so you can win. And so there was, um, you know, a lot of distraction during that time, not enough preparation that went into place that I think um, could be some of the lessons learned from that uh, heartbreaking loss in the, in the, uh, in the finals. Let's, uh, let's also talk about uh, uh, a little bit about innovation. Um, you and I, when we were uh, talking previously, Richard, you were telling me a wonderful story about your friend, Saklan Mushtaq, and uh, you know, how he invented um, the Dusra. Right. Tell us a little bit more about that story and uh, whether or not there is some sort of a process to innovation in sports. So, so Sacklane invented a new ball in cricket, a new delivery yeah. um, uh, called the Doosra. So the ball spins in the opposite direction to an orthodox delivery, uh, uh, a finger spinner. So Saki is an off spinner, so the ball turns back into the batter. The dues returns away from the bat mm-hmm. for those who are not conversant with cricket. Uh, nobody had ever done that as a finger spinner, so that was brand new. Um, and Saki told a story about it, and he said that where they, where they, I think Saki grew up in Lahore. They lived in a in a tenement block, and they would play cricket on top of the ten, tenements, mm-hmm. uh, like a lot of kids would in in the, in Pakistan. And and he just started playing with the ball one day, and he thought, you know, it'd be really cool if, if I could get the ball to spin the other way, it'd be a great weapon. And so he just started playing with the ball and, and, and working with the ball to see, you know, how he could get leverage on the ball to get his hand into a position for the ball to, for the scene to spin the other way. And so he'd just be sitting and he'd just take the ball and he'd spin it out of his fingers and it'd just like drop it in front of him six inches and he'd see that he could do it if he just turned his hand around a little bit more. And then slowly but surely it'd be okay, well, let me see if I can do this 12 inches. And so he managed to get his hand around and he could do it 12 inches and slowly but surely from six inches to 12 inches, mm. to 18 inches to two foot. 
and so on and so on until he got started to progress into his bowling action now. So it's obviously there's a change in wrist action and now he's got to work with his bowling action and now he needs to deliver the ball with legally so he can't yeah. bend his elbow and, and throw the ball. He needs to deliver the ball legally but, but get his wrist into his position so the ball is going to spin and he said it took him somewhere in the region of about two and a half years to master this. Wow. And he'd say he'd laugh. He'd laugh about guys. You know, he'd see, he'd see the other cricketers in world cricket who'd try and bowl it and they'd get frustrated or they'd throw the ball. So it'd be an illegal delivery. And he'd say, it's amazing to think that it took him two and a half years and other people would think they could do it in a couple of weeks. He says, you know, it's like, it's illogical. You know, so he mastered this delivery. Mm -hmm. he, could bowl, he could bowl the delivery legally. And a which, which very, very few people have ever got close to being able to do. And, and so it's a really interesting insight into, into firstly, again, it just started with an idea. You know, yeah. So he's playing. And this is really important for, for, for you know, I'm not sure if educators listen in on, on, on your channel. But there's an important thing, you know, a critical thing for us in learning is playing. It's not necessarily just sitting down with, with books in front of us and, and paper and trying to memorize stuff so we can regurgitate memory is you know young children learn through play and i think it's yeah. really important at all stages that we learn through play and so there you've got this young man who is he has an idea and he plays with the idea yeah and he explores it and just step by step you know step by step by step inch by inch he 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 invent something and of course it's not television it's a telephone it's not the internet mm -hmm. but in his field it's something brand new yeah it began with a single idea and you know sasaklan would come from a humble background in pakistan you know wouldn't have grown up in a in a privileged background so you've got this young man who's just if anybody's watched sasaklan play tv on cricket uh, cricket on tv on youtube uh, from from the days when he was a young man, is that they may notice that Sackline doesn't look like uh, a huge gifted athlete. You know, he doesn't move like Lionel Messi playing football. You know, <laughs> it's because he would have grown up playing cricket in the street. So you're in a very confined area. So you're not running around on fields. You know, mm. learning with lots of other sports like hockey and soccer, where you're getting, you know, you're getting a very broadly developed uh, uh, patterns of movement. So Saki would not look particularly comfortable. He's no, he's no Usain Bolt when he's sprinting. And yet, when what I learned from this was that when I started working with him, he would bowl. I had never come across a cricketer with that level of skill before. Mm. And for anybody who's watched the international darts players or the professional darts players on TV and they're aiming at trouble 20, and they can get three darts in trouble 20, and, you know, for any of us who've thrown darts at a dartboard, we know quite how miraculous that is. Yeah. Is that that would be the level of skill that Sacklane would have with bowling. And it changed the way that I coached. Yeah. Because it opened up a lens on the level of skill that was possible. Because up until then, I'd never seen anything like that. Yeah. And, and to, excuse me, and to this day, I've barely seen anybody replicate a level of skill of that nature. But what it is saying to me, if you watch Sacklane, and looked at his athleticism, you'd say that he is not an innate athlete. But then when you see what he learned and mm. he taught himself and he mastered, 
then you would realize that, that the sky is the limit. Whatever you're trying to innovate in your field, it's not going to happen in a week, in a month, in two months or so. It will take you many, many months, probably a year or two years to get there because innovation does not come easy. Innovation comes from, as Richard said, curiosity, an idea, a process for, uh, um, um, uh, uh, with an open mind to experiment and having the patience to continue doing what you're doing and staying true to the process and the innovation will happen. Tell me, uh, let's talk about leadership now, right? You have worked with many, uh, you know, many greats, many, many great players. And a lot of the viewers uh, on, on, on my channel are, uh, are youth, are young professionals who aspire to be great leaders, right? So what, how do you define leadership, uh, Richard? And what do you think, what does it take to be a great leader? And can you perhaps give a few examples of the great leaders that you, uh, that you have worked with? Well, I'd like to come back to strategic thinking mm -hmm. and, and, and practicing that so that it becomes, becomes a habitual way of thinking. And if we think of leadership, of a destination because to lead you have to set direction right so to set direction you've got to have a destination so where mm -hmm. we're trying to get um so it comes back to the six questions mm -hmm. you know what is it that i want yep and and that being your destination and and that could be that could be today it could be a week it could be a month it could be a year it could be i mean for me i sat down in 91 when i when i realized that i just had to pack up trying to play competitively and i and i sat down with a piece of paper and a pen and i wrote down what i wanted to achieve as a coach and nobody had ever heard of me i sat in my parents house in the uk and i don't come from a privileged background so it's a very modest it's a very modest house mm -hmm. um and so I just drafted out what I wanted to achieve and I just broke it down into steps. And, and in doing that is, is I was getting clear on where I wanted to get to. This might sound remarkable to, to the people on the call, but I didn't see there being any quick journey to this. Mm. So I sat down that I wanted to, to become an international coach and I set down a, temp, a timeline of, of, 10 years. And that state, that state, I think I was about 25, 25, maybe 26, yeah. maybe, maybe a bit younger. And, and so I wrote that down and because when I looked at it, you know, I, 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 I didn't have any position in cricket. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have any position as a coach. It was literally, I was just, it was my ultimate, it was my dream goal. Um, and, and I wrote it down and then I just came back and I started to, and I broke it down into steps and I thought, okay, well, what's the first coaching certification, which I need, what's the second one. And then I timelined that and I said, okay, well, in the next year, I need to get this coaching certification. And then I need to work with that certificate so, I, so it can become practical. And then a year after I'd like to do my next coaching certification and I need ex experience. Mm -hmm. 
And so I was already doing some coaching in the UK. So I wanted coaching opportunity overseas, out of season, hence, you know, riding away to South Africa. And, and I would say to the people, uh, to the audience is don't be shy. I wrote to the top guy in South African cricket. Yeah. And I did that because I didn't want a middle person making a decision on me. So it'd be a little bit like writing to, I don't know, president of the country. Mm. You know, this guy was the CEO of South African cricket. And um, wonderfully, he wrote back. And I actually got to know him in later years. And I said, you know what? You, you won't remember this, but you, I wrote to you and you wrote back. Obviously, he just he dictated a letter to his secretary. And I got to know his secretary because she worked at the same organization later. And I said, I said to her, I said, Diane, you're going to believe this. But you actually wrote me a letter. And, and so I cut out all the middlemen so I could get an answer. And, and so I set direction. So mm. I was taking ownership. I was taking ownership of where I wanted to get to. That's... And in doing that, and in doing that, I was taking responsibility for, for becoming my own leader. Right. I wasn't leaving it to anybody else. And so when we talk about leadership, you've got to be able to lead yourself first. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. So we've got, so we use those six questions. Those questions are free. You know, they, they, they are, you don't have to buy them. You don't have to go on the internet and pay, purchase them in a subscription anywhere. You don't have to go to the local shop. They are free. You just need to exercise your imagination. And you used a great phrase earlier. You said, what if? So... You know, you might think, okay, well, what do I aspire to? And then you might think, oh, I don't think I can achieve that. And I say, well, what if? Why not? Why not? And so, and so we have to be able to lead ourselves. And I yeah. think the most important part of leadership, because really it's just those six questions. Mm. And it's all just breaking it down into time. Right. And being very present. You know, like with Sack Lane, he didn't try and bowl the ball over 22 yards. He tried six inches. Yeah. And so... And every time we achieve a really small goal, the brain releases dopamine and it goes, wow, I enjoyed that. Thank you. Yeah. And that imprints it. And so, and so when that happens, it, it, that imprint gets stronger. The synapses in the brain, that, that connection gets stronger and stronger every time we do that. And so we go six inches, 12 inches, 18 inches. We don't go 22 yards. <laughs> we don't try and hit a tiny target. We just do what is within our control and just a little bit more, not too much. And, and so we use those six questions. And then for me, it, 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 when, when we're clear on that, the most important bit is our moral compass. And this is mm. universal. It doesn't matter whether you grow up in Pakistan, Canada, South Africa, wherever you may be. Is, it doesn't matter what your faith is because it's exactly the same in every faith. Correct. These are universal principles. Correct. And, and, and in, some, in some faiths, you will, get your, you will get your principles handed down to you, you know, like the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. But those principles are your, or your GPS, and they guide your journey every single step of the way. And when you adhere to those principles, you can't go wrong. Because if you are honest and you act with integrity and you act with compassion and you act with self-discipline, is you can achieve whatever you want. And if you digress from those principles and you, in pursuing your goal, 
you transgress and you do something illegal or you compromise somebody else is then is then you are going to hit speed bumps mm. or you're going to be driving out onto the rumble strips on the side of the highway and so so you know when i look at leadership and it's not about people who are famous it's about it's about the people in your community and people who are who are great role models in your community mm. it's not necessarily the people on tv it's about those who contribute those who serve uh, those who are generous and that to me is great leadership and it, and if people again if you just write down write down what you believe to be true you know write down the stuff which is important and and I'm not a fan of values because I think values are very rubbery mm-hmm. I think I think that principles are like gravity they are immutable there is a law there right and you can't transgress that law and and it doesn't matter and that would have helped me whether I coach in Pakistan Bangladesh West Indies South Africa you name it doesn't matter what community you're in is those principles are exactly the same you steal from anybody in those communities we know right and wrong yeah so that's got nothing to do with culture that's got nothing to do with faith you know so that's part of our that's part of our humanity and that and Omar that that to me is that to me is leadership right thank you so much for sharing that um Richard um any um, any other interesting uh, coaching story from uh, from a particular player that really you know um stands out in your memory uh, whether it was a coaching experience from coaching pakistan or bangladesh or uh, the uh, the titans in south africa anything that really stands out you're like yeah that is one of my golden experiences ever whether it could be a high moment it could be a low moment I think I think in terms of players um it's one of the things that is that's really important in terms of making progress mm-hmm. you know we 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 have value in terms of our skills relative to how how good we are so if somebody has an exceptional skill set and if uh, this is for you know if this is a student and they think they're going to go out into the working marketplace uh this would be the same for sports men and women uh, the boys and the girls mm-hmm. who who want to get selected for a team the first thing we got to do is we got to master skills and whether that's like sackline which is first master the uh, the skill which is the delivery and then with the delivery we need a strategy a game plan around that and if i think back to when i started working with elston and morne morkel at the titans they were both young guys and and we did a lot of work in the off season and and it's the most basic thing for a bowler is to 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 be able and i say it's basic it should be the primary thing for all bowlers but not many can do it really well which is to master their stock ball so master the most fundamental skill mm-hmm. which is part of your game and they spend a huge amount of time automating practicing and practicing and practicing being able to bowl their stock ball and what i'd say to young players is that you know until you have a stock ball until you have a main skill mm-hmm. everything else is a variation mm. and so you know because quite often for young cricketers they come in and say you know coach i want to work on my variation i said well everything that you've got at the moment is a variation because you haven't mastered your stock ball and that's metaphorical as well so master yeah. a skill and the greater the better you are at that skill that that is going to give you value once you enter the working marketplace mm-hmm. so so challenge yourself to be the most skilled in your field and with that is you need strategy so right. how do i apply that skill 
and and the two of them would have done a an inordinate inordinate amount of work to be able to master that and and it would have paid back their work over many years you know they would have gone on to be the lead the attack for south africa for 10 years for a decade yeah. Uh, they would have been widely regarded in their era as one of, if not the best, new ball attack in the world. Uh, both very different, obviously, more they're very tall. Uh, Dale, shorter and more of a swing bowler. Uh, both could bowl with exceptional pace. Um, and, and just a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of repetition. But the way that we kept interesting is that we just set little targets. Yeah. So there was always, there was always, uh, and this is going to sound again like a metaphor within a metaphor. But when they were doing their work, is there would be a target that they would they would aim at, and it would give mm. them immediate feedback. And so they, if they were successful again, the brain would go, "Wow, dopamine, great! You know, I was successful." <laughs> and if not, they immediately got feedback as to where they were off track. Right. The mind operates like that. The mind operates. You know, you give it a goal, and it's like it's like setting off a missile, and it will spend a lot of its journey off track. But if we give it a clear goal, it will keep on orientating itself right. towards the goal. And so, so, you know, that was really fascinating for me. Is actually again that lesson from Sackling, is 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 that mastery and the degree of mastery that, that a human can develop, um, and keeping that interesting. And so other cricket stories, uh, I think for me, in terms of my work, when I, I'm, I no longer direct a cricket for the West Indies, I did a, a three-year stint there. It was during that time we designed the process for the 2016 World Cups. Mm. Uh, there were three World Cups, the under-19, the women, and the, and the men's team. And the under-19 was the Wonder World Cup, and the, and, the, and the women and the men were the T20 World Cups. And they were over quite a short period of time. They were all played within a couple of maybe perhaps even a month of each other. And, and we won all three World Cups and it's never been done before. I think, you know, barring my own, own um, success as a coach and winning championships, which is really cool, but I think possibly even more enjoyable is, is, is designing a program, uh, particularly with the under-19s women, because they'd never won any World Cups before. Mm. It's designing the program and, 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 and coaching people to be able to deliver that program because now I'm heading up the program. So I've got right. to share that understanding, which I would have learned over many years and, and did a lot of losing. So here's one, for the, here's one for the audience. I did a lot of losing of finals before I mastered how to help the team to start winning. Right. And once I understood it, is the side that I coach would win consistently because now the understanding, the, the, that understanding had been coached. And it was in the dressing room. So those mm. players knew what to do and when to do it to be able to achieve their goal. And, and so I replicated that and I, and I coached that into the high performance program at the, in the Windies. So I think winning those three World Cups was, you know, that's a bit, little bit like summiting Everest. You know, it's, um, it doesn't get better than that. So yeah. I think that would, I think personally, that would be, that would be the highlight really. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that 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 truly is incredible. So before we sign off, guys, I have a short little fun segment for Richard. Richard, a few rapid fire questions. All right, this is just a little bit for fun. Just go for whatever the name comes out to you. The first name, just go with it. All right. Okay. So your first question: 
Who's your all-time role model? Sorry, my parents. Okay, parents. All right, second question. A cricketer who you believe overachieved or achieved beyond his true potential or natural potential? I don't know if you can do that, really. I think <clears throat> potential is exponential. But I think, I think Sackling is somebody that when you, when you, you know, from circumstance to, to genius, I yeah. think is, is, that's an incredible story. Definitely. Um, a cricketer who you believe kind of underachieved? I think that would be unfair for me to, to, to call out somebody who, who hasn't achieved. The, the, there are many of us in our own way we haven't achieved some of the goals. That's that true. To achieve, but, um, so next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you've coached so many players. Who was your most obedient learner? <laughs> Um, oh wow I think um, I think I think Dale and Mornay as a pair because we spent so much time working on working on our game there's a whole host of other guys but you know those guys were very clear they were very clear in what they wanted to achieve and they were and they just got on with it they were absolutely brilliant so those two were were really exceptional great Um, what about the opposite your most rebellious learners Uh, oh I wouldn't say rebellious, but I think um, somebody like Sherv Akhtar, who, 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 you know, he was a great bowler. I mean, I, with somebody like Sherv, you're definitely not coaching him. You, may, you know, you're doing, you're managing, you're managing the process with the team. Is it was it was fascinating seeing somebody like being a witness to the to the incredible performance that Sherv could deliver mm-hmm. um show about his own way of working you know yeah. and, and and i think when you've got players like that and that was my experience with pakistan is the is don't tinker don't try and fix stuff you know when you've got exceptional performance seek you know the old saying seek to understand first yeah and so so show was so show was the force of nature and even watching him now i mean i go on youtube with my kids and i just say watch this guy bowl you know this i cannot imagine Anybody ever bowling faster than Dove? It was just like it was just incredible. Absolutely. What when he would bowl, everyone would just just watch. That's it, right? You just can't your you just can't take your eyes off the screen when he's bowling. What a remarkable player! Um, the best captain that you have seen. Wow, you're putting me on the spot. Here. <laughs> um, I've worked with so many great captains. Uh, I'm going to. I'm not going to go for for best captain. Um, I'm going to go for my me- most recent captain because I think every captain brings different attributes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've, you know, I, I love all the captains I've worked with because I've learned from all of them. But I'm going to. I'm going to say Jason Holder for for the last stint, my coaching stint. His mm-hmm. leadership of, of the West Indies and beating England, which I think is only the second time in 20 years that they've beaten England. Yeah. Um, and, and not only was he the match winner, so he led from the front in terms of performance, uh, he just, his captaincy was fantastic and it was, and it was just brilliant working with him. He's a lovely guy and, and his captaincy was exceptional. And uh, coincidentally, they're playing today. 
both the Windies <laughs> and the and the English players. They're flanked today. Today, uh, yesterday, cricket started again. So it's great to yeah. see cricket back in action. Um, last one: a player that you wish you had coached. Oh man, man, I've been really spoiled. Sometimes <laughs> I've been so spoiled. I mean, I would have been blessed to work with some of the greatest players ever. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think. I don't think when you're working with genius players, there's much coaching going on. Quite honestly, mm. um, I would have. I would have loved. This is. I'm. I'm digressing a little bit, but just bear with me. Is I would have loved to have been to have been able to watch Don Bradman bat. Right. For, for, for you know, to there is nobody who's remotely got close to Don Bradman, and that is in any era. So yeah. that guy really, so really is the genius of the genius of all cricket. Genius when of geniuses. Speak about great players of eras, you know, when you think that he was a good thirty runs plus above anybody else. So, so I would have loved. I mean, I, I can't say coach Don Bradman because because he was a genius, but um, I would have loved to have watched him. Absolutely, I think that's that's that holds true for a lot of cricket fanatics. So. Richard, this was great. Thank you so much for sharing everything with us. And, um, you know, amazing. Wish you all the very best with your future endeavors. I know you're starting your own coaching company and all the best for that as well. And for those of you who are listening in, please, 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 if you haven't already done so, do subscribe to our channel and keep, keep tuned in because there's more to come in the series of Secrets of Greatness. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you once again, Richard. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Ma. What you just learned has given you new knowledge, but knowledge is not power. It is potential power. It only becomes power when you activate your learning. I invite you to leave a review with your learnings from this episode. You can also take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your favorite social media channel with your feedback, comments, questions and learnings and tag me at I am Omar Padri. Because when you synthesize your learning by writing them down, you transport them from your short-term memory to your long-term memory. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode to learn better and grow faster.